Good morning. Um, I'm going to, because I see some people looking for seats in the back, if you are not squished into the middle so that there's space for people, would you mind making room for some of our friends in the back? Thank you so much. Um, and to make that more complicated, um, if you are interested in taking a seat, this is a longer reading. So I'll invite everyone to take a seat um, to hear um, the word of God this morning. So the reading today comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Before I read our scripture text, let me say that this is a task you can do too. We are all servant leaders at Common Table, and if you value diverse leadership, please sign up on a Connect card and volunteer to help in worship, whether that's reading scripture, serving communion, there's lots of ways to get involved. So if you're interested, please use a Connect card in the um, chair in front of you. So our reading from Luke chapter 24. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Laura. I uh, invite the kids to head out now for kids ministry. Can we clap for our kids, our kids volunteers? Yes. All right. We love them so much. We're so grateful. 
for our kids' ministry, um, and we're thankful for your support of our kids' ministry. So thank you for enabling good care and good faith development. I'm actually going to talk a little bit in the message today about what's coming up for our kids, which is really cool. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Again, my name is Drew Wilson, and I'm a co-pastor here at Common Table. It's always a joy uh, to serve in ministry, serve with my co-pastor Stephen here, serve with the beautiful staff and volunteers, and what a community this is. Let's start with a question today. How reliable is our experience? We're done. We're just going to stop right there and think about that. All right. No, no, no. Why do I ask? Why do I ask? Today is the third week in our four-part series called On the Quad. And each week we are considering one of four tools of faith in what is called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Sounds super nerdy, but hang there with me, all right? We say that Christian faith is revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, vivified in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. Marilyn Hextall, Reverend, you know this stuff, all right. Well, two weeks ago, I shared that the Christian tradition of the table was how the Apostle Paul addressed uh, inequity in the early church in 1 Corinthians, and it was how Cesar Chavez shaped labor union protests in the 20th century, and it's how we are being shaped here at Common Table as we practice the table manners of Christ. Last week, Stephen talked about how Scripture changes, it shapes not only our lives on a personal and communal level, but also on the societal scale as we address systemic injustice. And next week, Stephen is going to wrap it up with reason, confirmed by reason. But today we're going to talk about experience. Experience. Because the entirety of the Christian life isn't found in just Scripture or just traditions or just rationality. But I also have to confess, before we really get going, I have to confess some of my skepticism when it comes to religious experience. Early in my career, I realized that some of the most powerful faith experiences that we cultivate among, say, teenagers can be pretty manipulative. In my first church, I took my middle school and high school students to a weekend retreat. And some of y'all right now are like, weekend retreat. (laughs) I know what that means. Just a few hundred teenagers separated from their normal lives, sleep deprived, vulnerable. And on Friday evening, the very first keynote The speaker began like this. He said, I can just tell there are going to be some tears flowing on Saturday night. (laughs) Right? Red flag. What was he doing? He was priming the pump. That's right. He was crafting an experience, creating a pressure to conform, an expectation. He was manipulating. He was manipulating. And, and for anyone 
who has come down from some big religious experience to feel let down and confused and perhaps even used, please know that you are not alone yeah. and we're here for you. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of us have found out the hard way that experience is not entirely reliable on its own, right? Not entirely reliable on its own. And here at Common Table, we strive to balance the goodness of human experience with a desire not to manipulate. For example, I have tried to ensure zero emotional manipulation today by writing this really boring sermon. <laughs> but more importantly, more importantly, if God is as great as we say God is, then we shouldn't have to make things up for God's sake. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. All right. We're on the same page, I hope. Okay. Just experience, just experience has limited reliability. In his astonishing book, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us, Ed Young writes about the concept of the umwelt, the umwelt, which is not simply an animal's surroundings, but specifically the part of those surroundings that an animal can sense and experience. That is its perceptual world. Say that an animal's body is like a house and each house has a number of windows that open up to a garden. There's a light window and a sound window, a smell window, a taste window, lots of touch windows. But the experience of the garden changes depending on how these windows are built. Different houses, different animal bodies, different houses experience the garden differently. Humans, for instance, have a very limited spectrum of visible light about 380 to 750 nanometers that make up our rainbow. And that's what we can see. But we know that there's a whole lot of light beyond what we can see. Infrared, ultraviolet. And we know that other creatures can see it. And the James Webb Space Telescope can see it. We only hear about 20 to 20,000 hertz. But we know that there are sound waves below and above that limited range, and we know that other creatures can hear them. You see, we are stuck inside our house. Our umwelt is limited, but it never feels that way. Jung says, to us it feels all-encompassing. It is all that we know, and so we easily mistake it for all there is to know. This is an illusion and one that every animal shares. Now, in our story today that Laura just read, it's Easter Sunday. And two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus is risen from death and he appears to them, but they are so downcast after his crucifixion on Friday that they can't see him. 
Scripture says they are prevented from recognizing him. Their umwelt can't take it in. What is right in front of them? What if our grief is all that we know and we mistake it for all there is to know? So Jesus asks what they're talking about. And the one called Cleopas says, Are you the only person who doesn't know what's been happening these last few days? And the irony here is incredible because Cleopas is talking to the only person who really does know what's been happening these last few days and still he can't tell who it is. And the two disciples explain to this stranger about Jesus, about his goodness, about his death, and then about the mystery that has occurred. How the women went to the tomb this morning and they found it empty and how they reported that there were angels who said that Jesus was alive. But you know, that's just the women speaking. These guys just still don't know what to believe. They're confused. What if our confusion is all that we know and we mistake it for all there is to know. Jesus says, how dumb are you guys? How dumb are you guys? How dull are your minds? Isn't this what the scriptures have said all along? Jesus says, didn't the scriptures say that the Christ would suffer and die and on the third day be raised in glory? And so he unpacks all the scriptures from Moses to the prophets, but just scripture is not enough. Not even Bible 101 with Professor Jesus H. Christ himself. <laughs> to unlock their senses, to open up their umwelt, will take a different experience. And it's when they reach Emmaus town and the sun is going down and they ask their guest to stay and they sit at the table and he takes bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. And just like that, their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then he disappears from their sight. And in so many ways, this is a birth of the church. Because it's when Jesus gets out of the way and his friends really start to use their tools together. Wait, they say, wait. Weren't our hearts burning within us when he spoke to us on the road? Experience. When he explained Moses and the prophets to us, Scripture. Uh, let's go back and gather with the other disciples. Let's tell the stories again and again and again. Let's make sense of this reason. Let's go over again how Jesus was made known in the breaking of the bread. And let's practice it ourselves. Tradition. The quadrilateral. These are our tools for faith in this world. For being the church. And I wonder, in your history, in, in your story, <clears throat> has a church ever 
leaned so far on one or two of these points that it forgot the others. A church so obsessed with religious experience that they abandoned reason and tradition. Or a church so idolatrous with scripture that they were closed off to new experience and understanding. When we engage all these things in dialogue, there's a kind of holy magic that happens. When we can say, hey, I I know that the tradition has said, for instance, that these people are out of bounds, but we're having this new experience in the love of Christ. The Spirit is moving us together, reconciling us to each other. Isn't this something faithful to Scripture? As the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Come, let us reason together. Come back next week for Reason with Stephen. Yes. But that's the story. That, isn't that good? Yeah. But that's the story of the early church. When Jews and Gentiles who previously did not mix suddenly found themselves in a new community sharing new communion. That's the story, y'all. It was a lively experience making sense of faith together. Along with scripture, tradition, and reason, from the start, following Jesus has also been about living, life-giving, vivifying experience. With the first Easter, the disciples have a resurrection experience. On Pentecost, the church has a spirit experience of wind and fire and language. To worship the living God of the Christian tradition is to expect to encounter the holy in real life. Experience. That is to experience the one who always was and is and is to come. The advent of the Lord, the coming of the holy into our world. But, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, our limited experience is never enough alone. We are in discernment with each other, just like those disciples. We're in discernment with each other, and we are interpreting it in dialogue with all these other tools. That's what we're doing with all these other tools. Yeah, I sidestep for a second. When I was 19 years old, I experienced, experienced a call to ministry. I was helping out with music at an event that was for people who were interested in ordained ministry. And I was not. I was there just to help out with music. And I, was, I remember I had finished with a service and I had my, my back on double doors, just like those over there. And I had my back on double doors and I was ready to lean out. And then a clergy woman started talking about the table. And y'all know how I feel about the table, you know, and the table. And she was talking about grace and she was talking about the open table, God's grace in the world. And my heart started racing. This was the lowest point of my engagement with church. I did not want to be involved with church at that time, but I heard this and boom, 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 boom. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this. Now that's cool, maybe, except that if it had just stayed there, It would have looked like this. 19-year-old white guy says God is talking to him and needs to go into the ministry. Thank God that my tradition did not leave it at that. But it was a 10-year process 
from February 20, 2002, yes, to June 2012 when I was ordained. Seminary, interviews, writing tons of papers, blah, blah, blah. Like, it wasn't up to me. <laughs> it was the church in discernment. Is this guy nuts? Or is there actually something happening in his life that we can say, okay, we see the fire and the faith and the fruit of a calling into ministry. So I just say that because experience isn't enough. It's holy stuff, but it's not enough. We do this in community. We do this together. We're interpreting our experience in dialogue with all the other tools of the faith. Although I keep saying that these are tools we use in our faith, but, but that's pretty limited too. Because perhaps it's more faithful to say that these are the tools of grace that God uses on us. Not that we use, but that God uses on us to transform us, to soften our hardened hearts toward each other, to save us before it is too late to love, to send us from the table as ministers of reconciliation into a world that has lost that holy way so ancient and so new. These are the tools that God uses on us. So here's my question to you. This year, it's the start of a new academic year, y'all. This year, how will you make yourself available to the tools of God's grace? To scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. In two weeks, on September 10th, we're going to start something new in worship. It's a new pathway for Common Table. It's called the Narrative Lectionary. And from September to May, it is a pathway through the whole story arc of Scripture. We are going to read through the Bible together. Not every single verse, but from September to May, we're going to chart a course through the bigger story arc of Scripture. Now, if you can sense that it is past time for you to get better acquainted with Scripture, here's a really great opportunity to change that. And that's not all. It's not just here in worship, but our kids ministry leader, Casey Clawberg, is leading a shift in kids ministry so that each Sunday our kids are reading the same stories that we're reading in here. They're going to be doing the narrative lectionary. And our small groups will receive the same scripture texts from the previous Sunday with discussion prompts to engage, to reason together, to do this work together. This is cool. At Common Table, we are unifying the whole shebang, y'all. And just like the burning of the church on the road to Emmaus, we want to experience doing scripture and tradition and reason together because that's how God can do a mighty work with us. So come take part in our common life. Even when we are dull and dumb and downcast, the risen Christ is still made known in these means of grace. So come on, y'all, and come, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.